0: So we're going through core values of our church and, um, you know, I kept, I, I I was struck this week, you know, as I was trying to write this sermon, you know, generosity is, you know, leveraging our lives for Jesus, you know, everything for him in the kingdom. And, you know, I just kept thinking about that phrase and I kept thinking about like, you know, God, that's genuinely what I want. I want nothing more than to be used by him. I want nothing more than to actually live out these core values. You know, I want nothing more than to actually share my story in a way that's compelling. And, and I want to see people one for Jesus. That's literally the bottom of my heart. That's what I want more than anything else. I want to see people one for Jesus, not because of me. Oftentimes it's in spite of me, I think. But God uses me, right? And I want to be used. I want to be used by him. I want to get out of my own way and I want to make way for what he wants for me. And I, I, I think that's what, I hope that's what you all want as well. But I need you to know that that is the heart of what Village Church is. That we actually want to do this stuff. We're not playing church. We're not like coming on a Sunday to sing some songs and feel good and then, and then go like, we're here to grow. We're here to learn. We're here to to actually do what he's asking us to do. We're here to take part in the kingdom. We're here to join hands with God and move forward and see the lost one and see miracles unfold. See lives change, oftentimes the one in the mirror. That's what I want more than anything else. And I don't want to do anything that compromises that. don't want to do a thing that compromises that heart, that compromises what God truly wants for each and every one of us. And so I was struck when I was writing this message on generosity that I don't just want to like teach about, like, here's some ways that we should be generous. You know, I don't want to just do that. <laughs> I want to make sure that we understand the heart behind generosity, and you know, I, I had all these Greek words, and I was like, really going to like unpack that stuff and do a, a teaching on generosity and, the, and some of the Hebrew behind it and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I don't know that that's going to get to the heart of what we actually need to be. Is teaching enough? I think we all get it, right? I think most of us in this room have been a part of the church long enough or known you know known Jesus long enough at this point that... We know that generosity is part of it, that we have to be generous with our time, our talents, our treasures. We have to be generous with what God has given us for the sake of others. I think we get that. I hope we get that at this point. And we talk all the time here at Village Church that, you know, um, whatever God means for us is always meant for other people as well. And that takes a generous spirit to be able to do those things. And so, as I struggled to kind of around and around and around of what I wanted to talk about this morning, I landed on this passage, and I think this sums up generosity the best. And this is um, this is out of Second Corinthians, and I'd encourage you to read chapters eight and nine in full this week if you have time. I'd, I'd really encourage you to really dive into those two chapters. Um, what's interesting about 2 Corinthians is that, well, it's the second letter to the, the church in Corinth, and there's a, there's a time gap between 1 Corinthians, that letter to that church, and, and the second letter. And the first letter is like really calling that church into correction because they've really lost their way. And he's like talking to them about like, you know, how to be a Christian in society, essentially, in a, in a pagan society, how to actually live out your faith, you know. And then in this one, it's like the church has gotten way too comfortable. And they've gotten into this um, routine of like, they, and they've gotten to the point where they don't think that Paul is enough for them anymore. And they say things at the beginning of the chapter like, you know, you're just not that great of a speaker, you know, and he's having to address that. He's having to address that he's poor, and they expect like their leader to like have some wealth behind them. You know, like he's, he, he wears ratty clothing, like he builds tents for a living, you know, like and they're thinking like, oh, you know, we, we would really like somebody else. I think it's time for you to, to step down now. And, and they're actually, they've asked him for like his credentials, essentially, like what gives you the right to continue leading us, you know, and that is, that is a condition of a comfortable church. Asking those kind of questions is a condition of a very, very comfortable church. And what's it's amazing is that Paul starts out the letter of 2 Corinthians by addressing the God of all comfort. And he's flipping on their heads like what this idea of comfort is about. That our comfort that God, any comfort that God gives us, is always meant to be given to other people. The God of comfort for us. So that we can go be a comfort for others. And so, at the beginning of this chapter of this of this book, I mean, he's um, he's starting off with this understanding of, "Hey, your guys are comfortable," and I don't think we're a comfortable church. I don't think that Village Church has gotten comfortable. I think we've been through some stuff, and God is good, and He's seen us through, and I'm so grateful for that. And I think that we're in a great season as a church. I think that we've been leaning into God in a, in a fresh way since, especially since COVID. And I'm so proud of where we are as a church. I'm so grateful for what God has done, but you know what? It's really easy to get comfortable. It's really easy to get comfortable. And so I don't want to get comfortable. I don't want us to get comfortable. I don't want us to just go through the motions. I don't want us to just sit up and tear down on Sunday and think that that's what we're doing and that's what we're called to hear, right? Like, this is part of it. You know, Sunday is an important time for us to rally together and for us to learn and grow together and for us to surrender things and to, for us to worship together. And it's a, it's a fantastic time, but this is such a small part of what we're called to be. So much of church is outside of this room. So much of being the church and being part of the kingdom is outside of this room. And so, with that understanding in mind a bit of where Paul is coming from and where we don't want to be as a church, right? Like, he, uh, he moves in through uh, chapters 8 and 9, and, and he's um, encouraging the church in Corinth to, to, um, to keep their word, Um. They had promised the year earlier, essentially, that they were going to help um, some uh, Christians in Jerusalem. There was a famine at this time. And so Paul was going around and he was uh, raising funds, essentially, for Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering and didn't have enough to eat and that sort of a thing. And so um, chapters 8 and 9, he's addressing all of that. And then he picks up here, and this is like such a great condensed teaching of why we need to be generous. And he's calling them to remember this promise that they were going to be generous people because they had forgotten a bit. And so he's holding them to that promise. And so let's pick up here, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 6 through 15. So I'll give you just a moment if you want to look that up yourself. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 15. And I'm going to be reading this morning actually out of the New Living Translation. And so if you want to read that with me on the screen, we will get there. Oh, we're a little cut off. That's okay. We can figure it out. Remember this A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and, they'll be joyfully, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. So this morning, I think I just want to, I want to verse by verse walk through, and we're going to break this down a bit, okay? So right away we see uh, in in verse 6, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I hope that speaks for itself, right? In in, uh, other places it says those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will reap generously, Right, And so it's the law of sowing and reaping at work here. What we put in is what we tend to get out in the kingdom. That's how it works. And so he's just Paul is just calling our attention again to that um, truth, to that reality that that is what it is to live in the kingdom, is that there is this law of sowing and reaping. And to be generous means that we must sow generously. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we sow generously into the kingdom. We sow generously into other people. And it's, you know, Paul is, is using, um, he's talking about financial terms here. But, um, but this applies to every area of our life. It's not just a financial thing that we're talking about here. Generosity is all-encompassing. If we're giving God every single area of our lives, right, our time, our ability, our finances, right, if we give him all of those things, then we're telling him every single one of those things is at your disposal, God. Every single one of those things. And so, again, when, we, when we're talking about this, we're not just talking about our finances. We're talking about every single area of our life. And and I love that he's talks he says this next he says you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure so we've got to make that decision we have to make a choice in us right but that choice should be guided and led by what by who by the holy spirit the Holy Spirit has got to have a say. I think too often we say, like, well, I think, like, oh, this is fine. Right? We talked about it, um, was it maybe last week, where I talked about, like, every time I make a purchase, I think two things Can I afford this? And is my wife going to be mad at me about it? But I very, very, very rarely ever say, God, is this something that you want? God, is this something that you want me to purchase right now? I, like, almost never ever do that. But that should probably be part of the conversation. That should probably be the first place I go to, especially in big financial decisions. God, is this something we need? Is this something that you want me to have? And so like, that's a decision in my heart that I've made to not include God in those, in those decisions. That's a decision in my heart, that even in my purchases, I've not made that decision to include him in that nearly often enough. And so I've got to make a decision at some point to say, God, you have say. You 100% have say. The whole reason that I'm able to purchase anything is because of you anyway. And so I want you to be able to dictate. To I want you to be able to tell me, hey, uh, can you set this aside for this person? Can you set this aside for this purpose? Can you set this aside for this mission, for this thing? I need to give him say. He's not going to hit me over the head, and he's not going to wrestle me to the ground and shout at me and say, hey, you need to do this. He rarely does that. He might, but he rarely does. We have to give him the opportunity. We have to give him the say in those moments to say, God, I value your input here. So we've got to decide in our heart in partnership with what the Holy Spirit is guiding us to, what he's asking of us. We've got to decide that in our heart. And then when we make that choice, it cannot be a reluctant choice, and it cannot be a choice made out of obligation. Otherwise, it's pointless. God loves a cheerful giver. If we give begrudgingly, what good is that? What good is that doing? If we give out of obligation, if we give because we feel like somebody's twisting our arm, right? What good is that? It's the same thing. It's a matter of the heart. So we have to choose first in our heart what we're willing to give. That's why the widow's might that Jesus talked about was such a powerful thing. Because she decided in her heart what she was going to give. And the rich ruler, right, he, uh, or the, the rich guy, when he was giving all that in that same parable, right, Jesus is like, there's no point. That's, that's hypocrisy right there. To show how, how wealthy you are and to, and to sh- make a big show of it, that's the same thing. You're trying to impress somebody else. We're called to give in secret, even. We're called to be generous with our funds and our, and our uh, time and stuff. We're, we're not supposed to tout that. We're not supposed to brag about that. We're not supposed to shout that stuff to the world because it's between us and God. And he sees what is done in secret. And that's the only thing that matters is what he sees. Because again, he's the one who gave it to us in the first place. You know, when I think of giving cheerfully, um, I think of... You know, my kids. And you know, when my kids are hungry, I don't begrudgingly give them food. When my kids when my two year old comes up to me and asks for some water, I don't go, uh right? I go, Yeah, okay. Like I, I it gives me joy to give my two year old water. I love that. I love those moments. Now, it would be harder for me to want to do that every time if every time I gave her water when she asked, she complained about it. It would be harder over time, right? And then I would start thinking that way. So we should give cheerfully, but I think we, should also, we also have to receive cheerfully for this to work. Because I think far too often when we think generosity and when we think, you know, this law of sowing and reaping, okay, God, like, I'm going to give you um, my, I, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to make a decision in my heart to give uh, a portion of my paycheck to the church, okay? As an example, we'll say that, okay? So, like, if we make that decision in our heart and we say, okay, God, I'm going to give $20 a month to church, okay? But then we think to ourselves, okay, I'm, tapping now, I'm now tapping into this law of sowing and reaping. And so I better start seeing back some return here. And if it's supposed to be better, then I better get at least 40 bucks back from this somehow, right? Otherwise, forget it. Otherwise, you can forget it, God, right? Like, and I think far too often we, we do that. I think far too often there's conditions on our generosity. There's conditions. But God's generosity to us is not conditional, is it? Is God's generosity towards you conditional on who you are, on what you do, on what season of life you're in? Is it conditional on those things? Have you always deserved everything that you've gotten? No. Absolutely not. And we're in this season of trying to be grateful, right? Coming out of Thanksgiving, trying to be grateful. but we have to be grateful without expectations. We've got to learn to express gratitude, not for what we think should happen, but because God is just good. And I know whatever will happen is in his hands. God is who he says he is or he isn't, right? And so our gratitude should reflect that. The way we receive things and the way we give things should reflect a heart that knows that God is going to use this for his purposes. Whatever I give, he's going to use for his purposes. And I know that he's going to take care of me. I know he's going to continue to take care of me. And I need to put any expectations of how I think that should happen away. God, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe give an extra 200 bucks this month and hope I get that, that raise from work. right? That's not how it works. <laughs> right? So we've got, again, we've got to make sure that we put those kind of things away. But this this verse 8 is just such an incredible promise. It says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I love the words that he uses here, right? Generously, he will provide all, all we need. Then you will always have everything. Everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And I love this because this is the first promise. This is such an important promise in this passage. This is a promise that I really want us to kind of hang on today is this promise that God will provide all you need and more. Our generosity unlocks this promise that God will provide all we need and more. And Paul is speaking to the church here, remember. He's speaking to those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to be generous. If we call ourselves Christian, then we have to be generous. And so he's saying, Christian, your generosity means this. God will provide all you need And more. But the reality here is that, again, every promise has a purpose, right? Every promise from God that is true for us has a purpose for other people as well. And so the first purpose that this promise gives us, when we step into that purpose, that that promise, then the first purpose that we're accepting is that he provides for all of our needs so that we might show the same generosity to others. God generously provides for all of our needs so that we might provide that same generosity to others. In Psalm 112, um, verse 9 says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever, is what it says in the NIV. In the in the new living it says they share freely and give generously to the poor their good deeds will be remembered forever And just really quickly I want to go through um, just the biblical meaning of righteousness of justice and generosity and how those things work together okay so if you're interested in, in doing like a crazy deep dive in in um, what those terms mean biblically and what Jesus was really talking about, I would encourage you to check out a book called Jesus Revolutionary of the Poor. It's, it's, called, uh, it's by uh, a guy named Mark Braden. And so, um, again, that's called Jesus Revolutionary of the Poor. It's a very heady book, but it is crazy. Um, just the way that um, it makes you rethink about some of these things. So, so righteousness... biblically is the provision of all things for us. So if we are righteous, then we are accepting the provision of God in every area of our lives. So spiritually, righteousness means that we have accepted in full the presence of the Holy Spirit, the salvation of Jesus, and everything that comes with that. The fullness of what it means for Christ to dwell in us and through us. That is what it means to be righteous, okay? It also means our physical needs are met. Now, the reason that we can say that confidently is because, one, righteousness is putting things right the way it was designed to be in the garden. In the garden, every single need was met. Right? Tracking with that? Every single need was met, okay? Food, Shelter, like whatever they needed, it was there. They had unhindered access to God. So spiritually speaking, they had that incredible relationship with God, right? But they also had every single other need that physical needs or emotional needs completely provided for. And so the cry for righteousness in scripture is a cry for things to be set the way that it was intended to be in the garden. And what Jesus came to do was to bring about the path back to that intention, okay? God's created intention for us, that unhindered access to relationship with God, to be able to walk with him, to be able to hear from him fully, right? No barriers between us, but Jesus also came, right, to bring the kingdom so that radically people's tangible needs would be met as well. And oftentimes in scripture, It was through the meeting of tangible needs that people's spiritual needs were met. And so to seek justice, to seek justice is to see people's needs met in fullness, is to fight for that, is to pursue people's needs to be met in fullness. Tangible, the physical needs and the spiritual needs. So we fight for those things, to see justice won for those who are oppressed, for for those who um, have food, right, and shelter withheld from them, right? So one of the missions of the church is to provide for the needs of the community, right? That's what we're called to do. We are called to provide for people's tangible needs. And again, in that, through our generosity, so we have righteousness, Right? is this understanding of what we're called to help see done in other people through Jesus. Right? Justice is the pursuit of that. It's saying we're going to band together and we're going to see this happen and we're going to fight for this for others because they, it's due them as image bearers of God that justice is due them, that they would have the fullness, that they would have the fullness of understanding who they are in Christ, and they would have their physical needs met, food in their tummies, and our generosity is the hands and feet that make that happen we can fight for justice all day long we can fight for people we can fight for people's needs to be met and we can say boy it's wrong that that person is hungry but then to go home and look at our fridge full of food and end up throwing away a good chunk of it sometimes right what is that doing That's just good intentions. But the hands and feet of justice is generosity. The hands and feet of justice is generosity you know, we see this, um, the second purpose that we have in this promise that God will provide all you need and more. When we read verses 11 through 15, I want you to think of it in these terms now of righteousness and justice in these things, okay? Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express express their thanks to God. In the NIV, it actually talks about righteousness will be done. And so, again, when we think of terms of that is the terms of righteousness here, is that needs will be met, right? So the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and to so all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. So our generosity is proof that we are who we say we are as followers of Jesus. And then this, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. So the second purpose From this promise that God will provide all you need and more, the second purpose is that our generosity points others to God. That's the purpose. God's generosity to us has a purpose. He gives us all we need and more, right? Everything we could ever need, he supplies. But then we are then called to do that same thing for others, to show them the generosity of God through our generosity to them. That promise, again, is for those who believe. And so non-believers who are struggling, we show them the love of God tangibly. We show them his care for them. We show them by providing their needs, by meeting their needs, by showing them who God is and his generosity. That's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And I want to read this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered um, a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. You know, one of the um, translations uh, of of righteousness is, one of the definitions of that is uh, to be made equal. So equality is part of it. Again, everybody's needs met. That is what the garden was all about. There were no needs. So what we also see from this passage is that we are called to give in proportion to what you have. And, you know, this is partly where we get the idea of percentage giving. We talk about sometimes, um, you know, if you give a percentage, that's a good place to start. If you're wondering, boy, what should I give, God? What do you want me to give? If you're talking about giving to the church or giving to a mission or giving to whatever, right? If you feel like that burden in you, that I need to be giving something here, then sometimes it's good to just start with a percentage and just say, you know, I'm going to give 1%. I'm going to give half of a percent of my monthly income. You know, and we, we hear this word tithe, and that, that word tithe is in the Old Testament, and that means 10%. And so that's often what's talked about in the church. But here we see Paul saying that there's no compulsion to do those things. But the tithe is a great place as a marker. It's a marker for us. That maybe that's where I need to be considering, or maybe that's something that I would like to try to build to over time. But if you don't have 10%, Nobody's twisting your arm to give 10%, and you shouldn't feel your arm twisted either. I don't like talking about money in this way, guys, because I don't like that the church is associated with trying to get people's money. I hate that. And so I hate that even anything coming out of my mouth right now might be filtered through those voices in your head, saying, oh, he's saying this stuff just because the church needs money. You know what? God provides all of our needs. He provides for people's needs all over this community, we, we, we have paid countless bills. We have bought vehicles for people. We have paid rent. We have paid mortgages. We have done all kinds of crazy things for people in this community, and God always comes through. So I'm not begging anybody. I'm not begging anybody. But I would ask that if the Holy Spirit is moving on you to do something, to partner with what the Village Church is doing, or whatever other ministry you're feeling called to, then I would ask that you please respond not just for the sake of those you're giving towards, but for your own family's sake. Because if we choose to be stingy, if we choose to say, no, this is mine, and I'm going to do with it whatever I want, then we are missing out on the laws of sowing and reaping, and we are missing out on this incredible promise that God will provide everything that I need and more. And I don't want you to miss out on the blessing of God. It's the one thing, I know this is said all the time, but it's crazy that God says this. In Malachi 3.10, when he talks about the tithe, he says, test me in this. Nowhere else does he say something like that. In every, actually every other place in scripture, it's like, don't you dare test God. But that's the one place where he's like, "It's do it. The law of sowing and reaping is absolute. It's absolute. But again, we have got to put away our expectations and what the reaping side of it looks like, right? And just trust that God will provide every single one of our needs. Village Church is called to generosity, guys. Whether we have it as a core value or not, it has to be a core value of who we are. It has to. There's no way around it. We're called to generosity. I want to be a real follower of Jesus. And I believe you want to be a real follower of Jesus. And if we're going to be real followers of Jesus, then we have to figure out generosity well. We, we have never said no to a tangible need in this church to anybody in this community. We've never once said no to anybody. And I'm very proud of that. And the way that we're able to do that is because you guys have decided in your heart what the Holy Spirit has asked you to give. That's the way that that happens. We serve as a funnel to the needs of this community and, and beyond. And so that's who we are called to be as village church. That's what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And before we we wrap up here, I just want to ask these questions and I want you to close your eyes and I just want you to think of these answers for yourself here. The first question is what has God supplied for you? What has God done for you? What has He given? What has He made possible in your life? I want to ask this, what opportunities do you know that you have to be generous right now? That includes your time, your ability, your knowledge, your finances. What opportunities do you have? What is God asking you to be generous in and towards? Guys, we give because he gave first. We're going to move into a time of communion. And as we do that, I, I want us to continue to be thinking about what he has done for us. And maybe that first portion of what he's done for us, maybe you were thinking about maybe some of the tangible things that he's done, maybe some of your tangible needs being met. But I want us to think to shift our thinking now towards what he did for us on the cross. What he did for us by giving his body and his blood. What he did for us by inviting us, by making a way possible to invite us into a new way of doing things, to invite us into healing, into salvation, into redemption, into deliverance. I want us to shift our thinking towards that, We serve a generous God who generously gave his only son. And that son, Jesus, generously gave his life for us. We're going to move into worship. And during this first song, I just, I want you to continue reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he gave his life, his body, his blood, he gave everything for us. And as we take those moments and we take the body and we we eat the bread, the cracker, and we drink that juice, my prayer this morning is that Our hearts would be open in that moment as we receive those elements. Say, Jesus, make me more like you. Give me the generous heart that you have towards me. Let me be generous like that towards others. Jesus, you sacrificed everything for us. What's one more thing you need me to sacrifice to you? next song, I want you to come up and grab the elements from the front here, and you can go and take them to your seats, and when you're ready, you can receive those elements. You can, you can eat the cracker and drink the juice on your own time, but I'd ask during this entire time that you would just be reflecting, God, what is it you're asking of me? I want to be more like you. You gave your life, so what are you asking me to give? You are generous with all things, so it's one thing that I can choose to be generous in. You gave up everything. You gave up your throne in heaven. You gave up heaven. You gave up heaven to come be born in a stable, to live this brutal life where you were unappreciated, scoffed at, murdered. You gave everything freely like you in-